from Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Mark Quanstrom. And I'm Tara Beth Leach, and we are continuing the conversation with pastors Josh and Melissa Dees. Uh, last week, we reflected on their story of just their first four years of ministry from 22 years old to 26 years old, where they navigated several crises that uh, triggered things in their own lives uh, that opened up things and past and trauma and hurt in their lives and their marriage. And I think the the hopeful landing spot uh, where we ended our last uh, conversation was that they did find lifelines, that they found lifelines in therapy and in a pastor and in recovery groups. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about offline after after we stopped recording the conversation was just that realization that sadly, and maybe sometimes also... <laughs> A way of God's grace finding us is is oftentimes that it is ministry that opens up that personal can of worms in our own history. But then, because of that that being opened up, we seek out those lifelines that we never knew we needed. Right? Yeah. Um, those means for us to encounter healing or grace or spaces for self reflection, and so. Well, there's more to the story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So four years in, and so now, so you were at that church for seven years, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you're still, yeah. are you still doing the, the? you're still family pastors, your discipleship pastor at that church? Yeah. Um, then you went mm-hmm. to another church out west, the northwest. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And but what, but what led to, let's talk about yeah. that transition for a moment. Um seven years to another church, what, what led to the transition? Yeah. So, um, we had obviously throughout the seven years, there were moments and situations where there were opportunities to go and, um, they never felt, they just never felt right. We felt committed to, to this place. And, um, I think early on we had the dream of like, we want to see the sixth graders, that we started out with when we showed up at 22 years old and we wanted to see them graduate. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of the, that was the dream. Um, and, and so we were, we were on the cusp of that mm-hmm. and we started to sense God doing something new, um, in our hearts. We couldn't really put our finger on it. And I think we were at, we were at a district event and, uh, something just both caught our attention of just like, I think God is, God's doing something new. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something fresh in our hearts. There's, there's a, I don't know, just a, a longing for something and we couldn't quite put our finger on it. So our prayer during that season was just like, God, would you just, would you just, uh, whether it's staying or going, would you just, uh, just move in our hearts and our minds and just be open to whatever, whatever this looks like. And, and so we had, I think within a week of just that openness, 
I think we had like three phone calls mm. from churches and we were like, oh, okay. Um, pay attention. Okay. Maybe something, yeah. maybe something. Yeah. Pay attention. Something's up here. And, um, and one of those phone calls ended up being something that, uh, that, that I think really caught our attention. Some, some dreams that we had in mind, some, some ideas in terms of where we felt God was taking us in ministry. Um, it began to line up and, um, and so we, uh, entered into that process and then found ourselves, uh, right, actually exactly seven years. Um, we moved away and, and, uh, took up new positions at another church where I, uh, started to lean into some of my own story of recovery and became a recovery pastor, part of my role. And Melissa continued in youth ministry there, and uh, we uh, we were uh, just heading into this space with some fresh vision and some some ideas, and uh, just beginning to to see how can we how can we continue this story and and um, uh, allow our story to be a gift for others um, in this new space and and have have some opportunity to to start something some something new. So that's kind of. I think part of what that process was. Mm. Yeah. So you got to that church and? Um, and it was a lot harder than we expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there were just, there, there was just a lot of um, things, that, different things that both of us dealt with, both individually and in our own kind of separate ministries and then others. And, you know, this church was or is a larger church than what we came from. And I think that was a big adjustment for us that we didn't realize would be such an adjustment. Um, And, um, you know, not only that, but being I was the fourth youth pastor that this church had had in four years. Um, So there was obviously some inconsistency there that I walked into um, that was really challenging to navigate. And honestly, it took it took me almost seven months, six, six to seven months to gain somewhat of stability and trust from the students. Um, and so that that added a lot. But then I think also coming from we came from a very collaborative team. Um, once that team in Brookings started to take off, like we were very collaborative and then came to um, a different church where there was collaboration, but you also had some of that, like, well, this is your ministry mm-hmm. and this is what you do. And there wasn't always the cohesion between the ministries. Um, so very siloed ministries that we were working on, you know, incorporating and bringing together um, and then shortly into not too long <laughs> into this time, um, just because of our story and the things that we had walked through, we began to sense something wasn't right. Um, but we also were like, well, maybe that's just our PTSD. <laughs> like, I'm just like, we don't, we're, we're not trusting like our, trusting ourselves or like something's not setting well. And so we kind of would just push that off to the side. Um, 
But then like we felt the Lord prompt us to start praying very specifically about bringing to light um, the wounds that were taking place in this church or had taken place and that God would unearth some of that. Um, we reluctantly were obedient to the Lord about that because we knew that praying something like that um, is we want God to bring things to light, but we also know that bringing things to light means messy conversations and outcomes. Um, and so long story short, um, we saw another moral failure take place mm. on our staff mm. from one of our um, executive pastors. And this was kind of like, okay, here we go again. Um, but at the same time, feeling different in our own spirits about it's not just, you know, we're not just going to sit here and like put our heads down <laughs> and just keep working. Like we're going to just continue to lean into relationships through all of this. Mm -hmm. um, so now you're eight years into ministry, right? And you're at yeah. two different churches and you've seen two moral failure failings in senior pastor at positions, not senior pastor in both churches, but executive. But staff, a senior level, senior a pretty level, senior, senior right? staff position. And you just said, here we go again, but it was different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was different because part of it was because we had gone through our own healing journey okay. and and so we were coming with fresh vision of like, um, we we understand the the deep seated brokenness that's at play, and so there was there was not of course there was anger and frustration, right. but there was also empathy because we had started to develop empathy for our own stories and and uh, began to understand that unfortunately like this is a common pattern. And, and so we were, I think we were also grieving and lamenting of just, you know, why, why again, like, why is this happening again? But also I think recognizing like the beginning to open up our eyes to the reality of like, something needs to change. This system is clearly broken and there's, there are some some components of this that that are i think perpetuating these cycles um and watching pastors begin to fail and fall apart and and i think we we only began to catch that vision just because we we went through it ourselves and we've experienced it you know in the church a couple of times and so so your response to it was i'm i'm putting words in your mouth here your response was more em more empathetic Mm -hmm. Which is remarkable because you could have could have been more. You could have thought. I mean, you could have gone the other way, but you also began to see that the issue wasn't simply personal or individual, but rather it might be systemic in mm -hmm. how how pastors are called on to work in a, in mm -hmm. these systems. So mm -hmm. That's that's what you just said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's more culpability than simply the singular moral failing. Yeah. That's what yeah. you want to say? Yeah. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think I think we find, um, especially within the world of addiction and recovery, um, futility or a lack of purpose often plays a huge role in. Um, I would say that futility doesn't doesn't bring people to addiction, but it keeps right. them there. And and so what I'm seeing, at least from my vantage point, is just um, a system that often leaves pastors feeling less than um, in one way, shape, or form because we can't measure up to the to the numbers right. or the metrics or to what other people think or don't think, and and so addiction can be rather alluring um right. or you know a moral failure can be rather alluring to the heart of someone who who constantly feels like they're not enough wow and and pastors are at least from my vantage point and from my own story like pastors are very susceptible wow. to that and so you think well, you think that this just monster that the church in America has created of what we often call the corporate metrics machine right yeah of um a system that says that you are a good pastor, a gifted pastor, uh, a worthy pastor, if you are able to fill an auditorium and you're able to do this or that. And so pastors then who don't see those same kinds of results then wonder, well, what's wrong with me? And so maybe they seek relief or release or affirmation in other places. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, they're looking for that out. Right. Um, and I think what's scary is that, you know, and again, this, this, this follows in line with some of my own story of just like, um, when we're under that sense of pressure and, and, um, and just feeling like we're not measuring up, like for some reason that, that out seems so much easier it seems so much mm -hmm. uh, more life-giving than staying in it yeah. um, in the moment and I think that's what's really scary is that we you know I heard it said once that we will we will often like sell ourselves for a penny on the street you know and um, and find ourselves in a, in a much bigger mess on the other side of things um, thinking that that would bring some sense of relief mm -hmm. or comfort. Mm -hmm. So were you able to help this church in light of your insight into the all the manifold reasons for these kinds of failures? Were you able to help the church navigate this then since you two were in a different spot? Um, yes and no. Um, I think, you know, if I'm honest, I, I was I was disappointed Again. with how it was handled in okay. some ways. Um, and um, I think regrettably, personally, like I wish I would have spoken up more okay. um, in the process. Um, but I will say, you know, with, with everything that happened at, at the, at our last church here, um, I did get to walk alongside one of the family members okay. and, uh, began to help them enter into this process of healing, mm -hmm. um, which was, I think, one of the one of the more beautiful parts of this story is to see that even in the messiness and the brokenness, that God was 
God was forming and shaping something new. And, and, uh, it was a, it was a privilege to be a part of, at least in a small way, like helping someone see that there, there's, there can be a different story Mm -hmm. written here. Um, despite clearly the, despite the messiness and it was really messy, um, that, you know, God could do something new in that. So how long? Okay, you mentioned your you mentioned this church as a as your last church. So you're not at this church right now. Yeah. So right. how did mm-hmm. that happen? Yeah. So um, just a few months ago, actually, not even a few months ago, um, <laughs> a month ago, a month ago, time flies. <laughs> um, uh, I was suddenly uh, uh, brought into my lead pastor's office and told that due to due to some financial struggles of the church that I was going to be let go. And, um, and so a year, we were exactly a year into our time mm. here at this church. And, and that morning I was dreaming of, you know, what God was going to be doing at this church three and four years out and kind of planning ahead. And then, and then by the end of the afternoon, I'm just like, I don't even know what That's I'm disorienting. doing tomorrow. Um, yeah, it was it was incredibly disorienting, and so uh, that that uh, just came out of nowhere. You know, there was there was no, at least for me, um, just no warning signs um, in terms of that coming. And so, um, yeah, just just very disorienting in terms of okay, now what and what what does this mean and um, how is that going to play this out? This is a month old. In, you're mm. talking about this and oh. this is four weeks old yeah all right so then i think five weeks five weeks, five weeks now so, yeah. but melissa you're still employed or you at the time you were they did not let you go right um and a week later i mean i was asked to make a decision on what i wanted to do as far as stay on or um leave and um a week later, just after a lot of prayer and discerning, um, but also feeling incredibly conflicted. Right. Um, you know, we had some new things that we were starting in our in the youth ministry um, that we'd been working on for months, and we were just launching um, these things. And um, you know, I'm I'm just now starting to build deeper relationships right. with students. Uh, but just the way the conversation went about, about me being there, um, it just didn't, something just didn't sit well. Um, and then it, it did culminate into a conversation where I ended up resigning in that Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, and so, uh, here we were then, uh, we had, about a week and a half left. Um, our last day was the 22nd. Um, so what, by the time I resigned, we were given like a week and a half mm. to have our last day. And now we are in this limbo um, period where we are just searching for jobs. And 
Um, yeah, and again, just understanding the sense of calling. Uh, you know, I think a big part of me resigning was this sense of calling with my my spouse, right. and that God has called us right. together. Um, however, that plays out. But I think due to the the disorientation and the the pain and the hurt that kind of came from that, I knew that this was not going to be a time where we could just plow through and keep attending a church that we felt very blindsided by. Um, and so that also came first for me of like, I want to make sure that I'm caring for my marriage because we have worked so hard at our marriage and to be people that we want to show that we have persevered through brokenness because of the Lord's strength. And, um, and yeah, I think, you know, what you were saying, Tara Beth, about, um, about how these things in the church often expose our own brokenness, Mm -hmm. um, that in itself is selfific and that the Lord is in those spaces where in order for God to bring the church and individuals into healing and freedom, things have to be exposed. And that's why the call for us is salvific, because I don't think we would have allowed ourselves to be exposed um, to the Lord's grace (laughs) if we weren't called, if we weren't pastors. Um. Yeah, it that that is my conclusion to this mm-hmm. call for us mm-hmm. is we wouldn't have entered into our own healing without that call. But here we are, um, still called, but not in the sense of like we are in a church or even really fully seeking a church at the moment. We're just resting and sitting in this space of who do we want to be mm-hmm. and who do we want to become mm-hmm. and not letting that be dictated by what we do. Wow. Um, and that's what I want for when, whatever, whenever we are back into like, you know, boots on the ground ministry, I want to be driven by not by what I'm doing, but who I am and who I'm becoming. Um. And let that, let the fruits of that be the ministry and what we're doing. Would you say that again? Um, if I can. Yeah. Can. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that I, I want the person that I am and becoming to... To propel me towards the fruit of this doing of ministry. So let me let me let me try to let me try to paraphrase. So the fruit you want from your ministry should flow from who you are and not from what you do. Mm. Right. That that the fruit we the fruit that the Lord really wants to come from us has to comes from the Lord's work in our lives 
and not from performance. To flow out of abiding rather than pursuing, chasing, um, which I think is, is the lure that, mm. that pastors are constantly faced with, right? And oftentimes, I think pastors forsake the abiding for the churning, for the pursuing, for the striving, right? For the performing. And, and the performing and hopes that somehow we can find the right levers to pull um, with enough striving that maybe we can muster up the fruit. And you're saying that you want to resist that and that you want to find a new way to carve out that new thing, that new way of being and pastoring and ministry to flow out of the rhythms of abiding. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so, I mean, you've said a whole lot in, the, in this last uh, 25 minutes so far. Um, the, the, what is the, what are the systems that we're operating in which produces this kind of dysfunction among the, the, the pastors, right? That's, that's a really important question. But mm -hmm. for ministry to flow out of being instead of doing, do the systems allow that is a kind of question I have. Right. Do the, is, that, is that enough for the institution to have the fruit be a consequence of who we are and not what we do? That's a really mm -hmm. important question. Yeah. Okay, but you both can, Josh, you, you want to add something? It looked like you were going to say something. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I think, I think if we opt for that model in terms of, you know, working out of who we're becoming, um, it tends to, uh, at least in my experience, it, the numbers will not show up. Ah. <laughs> and, and that's what's so challenging is is that if we're gonna if we're gonna do this sort of slow it's it's slow it's really slow work um spiritual i heard once that like spiritual growth is the slowest of all human growth mm -hmm. and so uh the yeah we're it's not going to show up on a piece of paper that things are going really well but there are and, and I'm not sure if there's really even a metric for it, but yet there's there is a there is a longing I think for us to to have that that have our outcomes be about who we're becoming rather than what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I, I'm not sure if we've found a, a metric for that, or if there is a right. metric for that that's helpful. So you're still in ministry, you're still called even though you don't have a job. Neither of you have a job in the church right now. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you're still called. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What yeah. does that look like for you right now? And you already said it, but <laughs> I would like you to... So what's that look like for you now? Oh, oh before we yeah. get there, how come you didn't quit? Everybody quits. I mean, young people are quitting after five years regularly. Mm -hmm. And they've... I mean, I don't know... I mean, this story is so there's a there's a sadness to it mm -hmm. and yet a power to it how come you didn't quit in mm. the middle i mean you had you had plenty of reasons yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, because we're called. And that's that's the best way that I could phrase that. The Lord wouldn't let you go. There it is. Yep. Yeah. All right. And so now, so you because you're called, and the, and all of this has been salvific. This has been the Lord's. The Lord has been redeeming in all of it. Yeah. So part of the mm-hmm. staying is to witness the Lord's redemption, I guess, huh? Yeah. But you didn't prescribe the Lord's redemption. You discovered it. Yeah. Right? You had to wait for it. Mm-hmm. You had to wait for the Lord to redeem. Yeah. And so how do you understand your call without a church? <laughs> yeah. Um, the the wilderness and exile motifs in scripture have been really yeah. impactful for right. us throughout our whole ministry, yeah. really. We've described <laughs> a lot of our ministry we've described as the wilderness. And so both literally li- and yeah, both literally and metaphorically. <laughs> the r- rural Oregon has every bit of the name wilderness in it. Um and it's this place that um, the way I've described it is like the wilderness is this place that's, that seems like it's trying to kill us, but at the same time, deeply transform us at the same time. Wow. And, um, and so we, we find ourselves in this space now where we recognize like, yeah, we don't have like a specific space. Um, and yet that often is the fertile grounds where God does something new. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen that we've witnessed that in our life. We've witnessed it even in the messiness of ministry. Um, and so I think there's this longing and expectation that, I mean, we see it throughout scripture that, that even in the wilderness and in exile, like God shows up in really powerful ways. Um, and that promise, I mean, we've held tightly to that promise that, that, in these places of these desolate places, yeah. like God's, God's going to do something new. And, and of course that's not without, I mean, especially within the last few weeks, just like the uncertainty and the anxiety of like, okay, what does this, what does this look like? Like on a horribly practical level, like how are we going to pay the bills? And, and what does that, what does that mean? And how do we, how can we, um, even if it's maybe, stepping away from ministry for a short time to just rest. Um, what does that look like? Uh, there's so many questions yeah. and it's, it's debilitating and overwhelming. And yet still there's this, there's this mm-hmm. affirmation. I think, I think early on, it's just like, we, we both felt like we have a lot left, a lot more to give. Yeah. And, and, and I think that again, that, that arises out of that call, that deep call yeah. in our life. The wilderness is a vulnerable place. It's the place where we are vulnerable to all sorts of attacks, um, whether, you know, it's it's attacks on our self-worth, right, or uh, attacks on maybe our sense of call or um, attacks on um, some of those most tender places, those most vulnerable places in our hearts and our minds. And one of the things that's consistent in Scripture with the wilderness is while the wilderness is often representative of the less than ideal spaces, right? And those journeys that are far from the promised land or far from the land of milk and honey or far from the things that we dreamed of. 
God is there still. God is present and God provides, right? Whether it's the manna, the quail, um, the pillar of fire, God provides and God leads. And my prayer for you, Josh and Melissa, is that God would consistently give you eyes to see the leading and the providing um, and the most abundant ways And my prayer for any pastor listening right now that is in that wilderness, that liminal space of wondering about call, uh, wondering, should I stay? Should I go? Why stay? This is not what we imagined. This is not what we thought. My prayer is that God would give them eyes to see the provision and the guiding and the wilderness. And so Josh and Melissa, you've been so helpful in this, I think, um, a healing balm probably is strangely, right? Like strangely, a healing balm to probably many of our listeners who are traversing in the wilderness. I think of of Hagar, who was there in the middle of the wilderness, and God saw her. Hmm. There's some Hagars that are listening right now, and I hope that they feel seen. Thanks for the gift of sharing your story. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty courageous for you to do, um, but i I promise you the Lord will use it, yep. and it has uh, been healing for us. Mm-hmm. So thank you for this gift. Um, for the pastors, uh, the reason for the podcast is because we believe in what you're doing. We believe in the call, and um, if the call means wilderness, I guess so be it, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Again, thanks, Josh. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, yeah. I think just the closing of your letter, you said, we just wanted to share our story because at times we feel like we're on an island. But then we hear an episode of your podcast and we're reminded of the pastors who are striving to live with theological integrity. That's right. We're not alone. There are those pastors that are out there. And so those that are living out of the being and the abiding towards theological integrity, may God bless you and sustain you another moment in ministry. And until next time, my friends.